0: So this week, I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the Nonprofit ChatGPT Headquarters. So. For those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue, to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table, and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last, really, six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So if you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT-HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. Hi, thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. Each week, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage, and I'm so excited you're here with me this week. You're listening to episode number 37. So starting this month, I am doing something new. It's something I've been super excited about and heading into the final stretch of the year, I felt like this was as great a time to start as ever. So moving forward each month, one show a month will be a solo show with just me, where I take a look at some topic that's specific to growth stage nonprofits and explore in depth some aspect of mindset or strategy. This month, as we head into the end of the year and so many of us begin to explore what's possible for next year, as we hopefully find our way to the end or the other side of this pandemic, I find that so many of the conversations I'm having with executive directors and board members that I work with are about their reflections on the state of their organization. There's a lot of thinking going on right now about what it means to be intentional and planful for the coming year. And I think that this is um, actually deeper than how do we set the right goals. It's really how do we determine where we're even starting from? How do we reassess the priorities that we may have set three years ago, five years ago, even at the beginning of 2021, so that we are setting up the right anchors for our work in the coming year. This is really a broader, deeper question about the state of their organization, right? Um, Where they're starting and how to think about moving forward. So that when they get to goal setting, work planning, et cetera, the framework that they've set up, um, the container that they've built, for their mission and their work is the right one. I was recently asked by one of the students in my Impact Accelerator about the best way to figure out where to focus her energies in the in the next year, and that's what made me think about this topic that I'm going to talk about today. Um, that's what made me really reflect on the fact that I didn't think she was asking about goal setting. Um, In fact, she wasn't asking about goal setting. She was thinking and asking about this broader question of sort of um, organizing priorities and and putting down anchors. And I found myself reflecting on the nonprofit lifecycle as a really helpful and powerful framework. Um, And actually, one of my very favorite tools for accomplishing the task of identifying the state of an organization in a broader way than just, you know, how much money did we bring in or how are we feeling about our staff? So this month for my solo show, I'm going to talk about the life cycles of a nonprofit and more specifically, how to assess and respond to where your organization is, your organization's stage of growth. So to get started, um, I want to talk for a minute about what the nonprofit life cycle is. It's basically a process that organizations go through or a framework that organizations can use um, to map out the various milestones and benchmarks in the life of that organization from idea to startup through growth, through maturity, and for many organizations through crisis and or decline. So it's a framework that maps out the specific and systemic benchmarks in an organization's life. And there are really common ones. And so the idea of the nonprofit life cycle as a framework goes beyond any one organization. Really, we've identified 10 general stages in the life cycle of an organization. Um, I'm not going to walk through all of them today. I'm just going to focus on the ones that pertain to growth. But over the life of any particular organization. There are these 10 um, stages of growth that have been identified. And it, it can be really important to know which stage you're in. Because as I said, each stage has specific and systemic and common benchmarks, milestones, specific goals, specific markers. If you want to grow your organization, and stay stable at the same time, then you want to make sure that you're doing the right thing at the right time. Timing matters. By charting the life cycle of your organization and identifying where you are, which growth stage you're in, you get insight into key milestones that you should be on the lookout for and a reference point for The specific challenges that your organization should be on the lookout for and should be preparing to address. You can also look ahead to the next stage of growth to get a sense for what your next best goals are. You want to be able to set the right goals and address the right challenges to make sure that your plans and your actions are aligned with where you are. If they're not, you're going to be far less effective um, at growing and at staying stable as you grow. So one example um, that comes up quite often with growth stage organizations um, is around boards. So often you have um, sort of a startup board or an early stage growth board that is transitioning, that's trying to grow into a governance board. And if you think about a startup board, um, it's really different than the board that you should have by the time your organization is a mature organization. Mature organization's board has functioning committees and officers that work on their own and self-govern and help to grow the impact of the organization in partnership with the leadership. It will be really frustrating and it probably won't work to try to take a four-person startup or early stage board And divide them into self-functioning committees that fundraise and govern. Um, That set of expectations is two stages beyond where a startup or early stage board would be. And so you can um, misallocate energy and resources trying to move your startup board, your early stage board, directly into a self-governing, self-functioning committees fundraising board. There's stages in between. What you actually want to do is look at the next growth phase and think about things like how do you grow the size of the board? What are the specific skills that are needed on the board? What kind of board culture do we need to be building to prepare this group or new people that we bring in to be effective at governing when they have the structure and the capacity? So by looking at the next phase, you have a better sense of, the realistic milestones to help you chart your course of growth. So the second thing to think about uh, um, in terms of why you want to pay attention to the life cycle of or the growth phase of your organization is that you want to help frame critical conversations and really important strategic decisions for the people on your team. It's much easier to go to your board, to your leadership team, and say, look, this is where we're going, right? Clarity about division and next steps can be really important. And knowing what are the conversations we need to be having? What are the normal, natural types of strategic decisions that happen in this phase to prepare us for our next phase? Um, Those critical conversations can be framed much more easily if you have a reference point. If you can say, look, this is the stage we're in, these are the markers of that stage, and this is where we're trying to get to in the next six months or in the next year or in the next two years. Um, It can offer a great starting point for conversations about capacity building, critical changes in fundraising, et cetera. So that leads to my last point about why lifecycle analysis can be really important This framework is most helpful to organizations that are at points of transition or going through moments of growth. Doesn't necessarily mean expansion. Growth just means shift or changes. You can also be growing um, in terms of your impact, but points of transition, moments of growth. One way to recognize that you're in a moment of growth or you're at a point of transition is if your organization feels especially chaotic and challenging. So welcome to the last two years <laughs> for, for most of us and definitely for organizational leaders, um, everything has felt especially chaotic and challenging. And so you're probably at a moment of transition and that can be transitioning how you're thinking about executing your mission, your, how you're thinking about your programs, There's some organizations undergoing rebrand, they're rethinking their staff. There's a lot of rethinking going on. And so the life cycle analysis is particularly potent at those moments. And that's one of the main reasons I wanted to do this show, um, this episode this month, because this is a really um, prevalent topic in a lot of the conversations that I'm having. You can sometimes feel those growing pains without really even knowing the source. Um, The reality is that most organizations that are in transition, that are in moments of growth or questioning, require changes that are both structural and strategic. Changes in their staff structure, their management strategy, their fundraising strategy, who's on the board, how they think about executing their mission. At almost every critical juncture in the life cycle process Every movement from one phase of development or growth into the next requires both structural and strategic changes. And so knowing what those changes are and sort of preparing yourself and your team for those structural and strategic changes um, is one way to help weather the storm and stay stable, right? As you grow, you'll be able to put sort of anchors in the ground, um, as you make critical decisions about what to change, what to keep steady, what should stay the same, et cetera. Um, So the life cycle assessment and knowing your developmental stage and what's coming next can help you be intentional about how to grow and where where to place your attention and resources. So I wanna walk through sort of how to do a life cycle assessment. As I mentioned, there are 10 stages. I'm gonna go through um, the first six. And there are six considerations at each stage. So as you move through each stage in your organization's growth, you'll wanna think about these six key considerations or ask yourself these questions at each stage. This is how you'll know where to focus your energy and when you're ready to grow. So the first is the nature and scope of your goals. Is your primary goal at this stage survival? Is it stability? Is it growth for more mature organizations? It's often deepening impact or thought leadership. So what's the core goal? And really, there should be no more than one or two here. These are not organizational or strategic goals. These, I mean, these are not strategic goals. These are goals that are um, about the life of your organization at our core are we working on surviving that is very often the core goal of a startup organization right or an organization that's in crisis that goal is survival and knowing that helps you clarify what are the questions we need to be asking where should we be focusing our attention the second consideration is the design of your organization So this is looking at structures, systems, policies, processes. As organizations grow, they naturally move from their design and function being organic. And this is usually reflective of the founder or the leader, particularly in early stages, who that person is, how they lead. Um, The design goes from organic to intentional, and I'll explain what this means as we go along, but that basically means um, organizations start to pay more attention to what's working, what's not. I have a great training on organizational design where I go through this in more detail, but I'll, I'll reference it um, throughout this training. The final stage in design is systematized. So organizations, as they grow, go from being sort of organically designed, you know, the people we have on the team the way work flows from person to person or information flows, how we um, balance issues of power and authority. Those go from being organic to, hey, what do we like that we're doing? What is serving us? What is not serving us? How do we develop protocols to, and norms to institutionalize what is working and to get rid of or move away from what's not working, all the way to systematize. What are the systems that can be put on autopilot so that our attention can be focused on bigger, more strategic questions? The third consideration is leadership. What's the mindset um, of the leader in this phase? Right? What are What's the organization being called on to navigate or grapple with in order to make the transition to the next phase? The next one is strategic clarity. What is the organization's level of strategic clarity? What's the time horizon of your planning? Are you at a phase where you can only plan six months or one year ahead, or do you have enough stability to realistically think three to five years ahead? Um, How far ahead are you able to look with certainty? How are you able to use your strategy to guide the work of the organization? Are you mostly drafting, drafting implementation plans or are you able to integrate your strategic plans into your budgets, into your finance plan? And those are things that happen as organizations grow, become more stable and more mature. The fifth consideration is capital. Fundraising and finance. And these are questions like, is our fundraising strategic? How transactional versus relational is it? How much of our budget is general operating support? How much of it is sustaining income like monthly donors or donor circles? Is our capital focused primarily on increasing our income? Or have we shifted into also thinking about diversification of income and stabilizing our income? These are also questions like, do we have a definition of financial health that guides our budgeting and our longer term financial decisions? What kind of budget do we have? Is it a hold steady budget? Is it a growth budget? Is it an aspirational budget? And finally, do we use our financials as strategic tools? These are all the kinds of questions, the answers to which will tell you where you are in terms of your capital. considerations um, for the particular growth stage that you're in. And finally, you wanna look at your capacity for sustaining your work. This is your people, your staff and your board, the size and nature of your team. How many people on your board? How is your board structured? Are you at a place where you can have committees? Are your officers doing what they're supposed to do? Do you have a leadership team? Are you hiring for execution on your team? or are you at a point where you can hire for ownership? So that as the leader, things are being taken off your plate. How is work flowing between your team? What's the actual capacity that you have to grow? So as a recap, these six considerations are your goals, the design of your organization, the leadership questions to move you into the next phase, your clarity, your capital, and your capacity. So like I mentioned, there are 10 stages to think about, but I'm only going to focus on the early stages that inform growth. The later stages are about crisis and transitions and mergers and decline. I do provide information about those stages in the download that I created to accompany this episode. Um, you can access that at richybabbagecom backslash nonprofit growth stages. And it's an overview, very high-level overview of what I'm talking through today um, that you can share with your board and your staff. And in that handout, I do include the later stages, Um, but I'm going to just do a deeper dive into the earlier ones um, here. So I'm going to walk through each stage and specifically highlight the considerations that I walked through for each stage. And you can um, see where you are. Um, See where you do a little assessment as we go along. So the first stage is the idea stage and birth and launch. So during this phase, you've identified a problem or solution to a problem. Your vision is sort of being developed. The organization is considered to have launched as soon as you begin running programming. So this is even if you are not incorporated. As soon as you start to carry out your mission, you start to carry out your mission. Right there, there's a there's a there there. The format, the structure, the longevity, all of that is separate from the actual launch. And so the goals during this sort of idea phase are often to launch. Um, the design is organic at best because the idea is still very much information. You're having conversations, you haven't really started thinking about program structure. Um there's really no sort of clarity or capacity um, or capital to speak of because it's just an idea. Now, transitioning out of this phase, when we think about sort of the leadership questions, transitioning out of this phase and actually becoming a startup requires a clear mission, a theory of change, and you have to determine your structure. As a leader, it also means a few sort of internal mindset questions. Do you actually want to start something? Do you want to build and run an institution? Or do you want to run amazing programs um, which do not have to go together? What format do you want it to take? And does formalizing your idea into a, into some form of corporate entity actually make sense? Is it something you want to do? So those are also some of the leadership questions that have to be considered in order to transition effectively out of this phase phase two, startup. This is where the organization is like an infant. I have to talk about an infant organization. And this is where the organization is mostly still the founder. This phase is often marked by a lot of energy, very little money, and some newly acquired legal status. This could be a 501c3 nonprofit status. This could be a B Corp. I do a lot more work these days with B Corps. some other social enterprise format. Many organizations are playing around with different corporate structures. There's some really interesting work and conversations um, taking place around structures that are um, that really incorporate shared governance and shared leadership. But the key is that you have formalized the institution in some way, and now you're racing to do the work of the organization and to survive. So the goal of this phase is survival. Startups are out to prove the impact of their theory of change by experimenting with program design and landing on what works. You want to have proof of concept. You want to have proof of impact. And that is key to your survival as a nonprofit. So that's really the goal. The design of your infrastructure is organic. It's shaped by the founder, shaped by the person who's leading. It's carried out by you. There are almost no systems or processes because it's usually just one person, maybe some friends. Capital is most often self-funded and really, really often, way more often than not, the executive director is not taking a salary at this point. So all of the capital coming in is going right back out to programming. In terms of capacity, there may be a startup board. Um, You know, there has to be one legally, and often those people who are on the incorporation documents stick around as a startup board. They're volunteers, they're friends and family. Maybe there's some volunteer staff, one or two independent contractors. The upshot of capacity here is that there's more work than people, meaning everyone does everything. There's no role differentiation at this point, and It's really all hands on deck, a working board, a working volunteer staff, um, the board is engaged in doing rather than governing, and everybody's sort of in it together. In terms of clarity, at this point, there's a clear mission, and you may have a theory of change, um, but just as often, the work is just what it is. um, That there's no sort of question about a strategic plan um, or sort of clarity in in that context, because you're just doing the work and, again, trying to get proof of concept. So the leadership question here, transitioning out of this phase, requires some formalization here, a strong program logic model that shows that the impact is for people. An initial strategic implementation plan, this will usually be short term, you know, the next six months, the next year at the most and the beginnings of a fundraising plan that's focused on implementation. And these are fundraising goals that are task-oriented, they're tactical. What are we going to do to bring in income? Um, Transitioning out of this phase into the sort of post-startup phase also requires the beginning of role and position um, descriptions. Job descriptions are often sort of useless at this point. because the work is not often clearly defined enough, but some articulation of the roles that are required to carry out the work. And um, that includes on a board, moving from a startup board to an early stage governance board requires some articulation of structure, um, who is doing what. Um, It also requires the beginning of a movement away from a board that's entirely people you know and friends as well as an a really strong focus on fundraising so that you begin to raise the money you need to hire staff and build your capacity. So if you're able to do these things, then you move into the post startup phase. You move from being an infant to a child. And this is where, like a child, the organization begins to walk and talk on its own. There's more stability at this stage. You're still figuring out how to actually be an institution But you're beginning to separate the work from the leader. Um, There are programs that are not just sort of coming out of the leader's head. You're beginning to grow and stabilize. So the goal of the post-startup phase is to stabilize. And one thing that I want to say about this post-startup phase, actually about all of these phases, is that. Very often we hear post-startup or startup or, um, you know, infant organization or child organization, and quite understandably, we think early in an organization's life, right? A startup is two years old. A post-startup organization maybe is three years old. That is often true. That is probably most often true. But the reason that I haven't assigned years to these stages is because it isn't always true and actually the life cycle analysis can be helpful most helpful when divorced from years that there are moments where organizations that have been around 8 years 10 years have elements of their institution of their capital of their you know capacity of the nature and scope of their clarity they have elements that are from a different stage it it doesn't always happen, but you might find that one part of your organization is in one stage, and another part is in another. Your fundraising can be in one stage, but your capacity is in another. It's rare that there are multiple stages apart, but it's not uncommon to be between a child and a teen um, organization, which I'll talk about a moment in a moment, or an infant and a child. It's also not uncommon to um, have elements that are sort of post startup elements in how you think about your staff, but be much more developed in how you think about um, your systems or your design. So I just wanna highlight that because as you hear what the goals are, what the sort of capacity, clarity, and capital milestones or benchmarks are of each of these phases, what you're listening for is, is both, generally speaking, what feels right for where my organization is, but also, Are there elements from different stages that feel right? Because then you can look for each of those elements at the next stage. So all of that is to say, don't get too caught up in, oh, but we're a seven-year organization. There's no way we'd be in post-startup phase. Totally not true. There are lots of organizations um, that have certain elements of their um, organizational development that are in this phase um, and other phases. So this child phase Um, The goal is to stabilize. So whereas the goal in the startup phase was to survive, the idea of having reached the post-startup phase is you figured out how to survive. You have proof of concept. You've got legs, right? You're walking, you're talking. The institution's walking and talking on its own. And so now you need to stabilize just like a child. That's the goal. The design of the institution is starting to move into intentional, It's still shaped by the founder. The organization tends to still be very nimble, which means that its processes are flexible and its structures are flexible. Very often its structures are flat, which allows it to stay very nimble and responsive. Innovation and testing and refinement are still really core to programming and to how the organization works. So it's still organic and responsive, but, At this phase, the organization should be starting to pay attention to, okay, what norms are we starting to see? What's working? Um, If we're going to innovate in this way around our board structure, our fundraising, if we're gonna try these things, great, but let's start to test and note and evaluate so that we can refine. That's what starts to happen in the post startup phase. Um, In terms of capital fundraising and finance, more regular fundraising is happening. Um, Because your expenses are going up. So very often, because the goal is to stabilize, you're trying to right size your expenses and your fundraising. And that can be tricky, because if you are beginning to think about actual staff, part time staff, actual employees, then you need to think about fundraising in a more structured and intentional way. You have more robust programming, you need more robust fundraising. So the the sort of markers of capital, the capital considerations in the post-startup phase are, how do we stabilize and right-size our finances to meet more structured and robust expenses? The capacity in the post-startup phase is usually made up of a small staff and some, some combination of a small staff and contractors. Your team is starting to form, but most authority still fits with the executive sits with the executive director. You're moving out of the sort of startup board phase, but and I, I mentioned this example earlier, you don't usually move from a startup board to a true governance board or fully actualized fundraising board. What's starting to happen is new people are coming onto the board that may not have. Um, an initial connection to the founder or to the leader, that's good, that is healthy. Um, So your your capacity also in this phase um, begins to involve expanding your network in a more intentional way and bringing new people into your ecosystem. Your clarity at this point um, should really evolve into a clear theory of change. It's your theory of change that's gonna differentiate you from similar organizations and that as your fundraising becomes more robust in the next phase serves as a real um, rallying cry for the right donors for your organization. Your your theory of change lies at the root of your unique sort of value, your, your unique programming, your communication and thought leadership and your fundraising, your relational fundraising. So, one of the hallmarks of the post startup phase is the clarity of your theory of change. Um, and you also need a clear strategy for the coming year. So, you start to think in sort of annual what do we want to accomplish? What does impact look like over the next year? At this phase, you also start to do more intentional evaluation of programming. So in terms of leadership questions to transition out of this phase into a growth stage organization, you really emphasize, or you really need to emphasize intentionality and a focus on what it will mean to grow. So if the goal of this phase is to stabilize, you need to, in order to transition out of this phase, you need to start asking, once we're stable, What needs to change? What do we need to adjust in order to actually grow? That will often include a long-term strategic plan, not just for the next year. A strategic fundraising plan that isn't just what are we going to do, but how does that intersect with um, our strategic programming plans? Um, What are we not going to do because it's not the right fundraising strategy for our culture or for the capacity that we have? And it means having a growth budget. Not just what can I do this for, you know, this is the money we have, what, how can we make this work? But an actual budget that articulates in numbers form the vision for your growth. And finally, cementing key staff roles. Again, not necessarily strict job descriptions, but key roles, um, both for your staff and for your board so that there becomes a more structured plan for board self-governance and eventually on your staff for a leadership team, right? Really structured roles. So the next two phases are growth stage organizations. Um, And growth stage organizations are often lumped together. There really are two distinct phases here, the teen phase, early growth stage, and the young adult and late growth stage, um, each marked by their own elements. And so you wanna pay attention to the six considerations within each of the two phases, but generally speaking, both of these phases have a few things in common as growth stage organizations. So as your organization or as the organization begins to hit its stride and begins to think about growth, It becomes focused on standardizing and deepening programs to meet the needs of its constituents. It starts to formalize its structure and processes in order to ensure its ongoing relevance and vitality. So growth almost always outpaces capacity, systems, and money. So one of the hallmarks of a growth stage organization can be lumpiness. Um, in funding, in finance, in staff. It's really, really common for growth stage organizations to look around and feel like something is out of whack. Um, This stage is often marked by trouble with workflows and communication, for example. As the team becomes less flat and roles become more differentiated and it isn't everybody doing everything, sometimes not everyone knows everything. Issues of authority, Um, and questions about how we're going to um, share and use authority can also start to emerge. So growth stage organizations grow out of organizations identifying how to be stable, but they can often feel unstable um, because your staff is growing faster than your money, or you are focused on bringing in money, but it's sort of feast or famine, right? You haven't figured out systems that make the funding consistent. Um, And so I want to map out just a few distinctions between early growth and later growth stages, because I think that they can be helpful here. So early growth stage organizations or teenage organizations are a lot like teenagers. Um, They are growing in earnest and they are intentional about their growth. They are focused on, we want to grow. We want to be mature. We want to stand on our own. We want to have our own point of view. We want to have our own brand. Um, And so scale is often the goal. Um, Intentional growth is often the goal here. Design is really about paying attention to what works and letting go of what doesn't. So really important during an early growth stage organization, testing and refining of processes and setting and naming of norms. And this is something that is particularly important internally as staff sizes tend to grow, you tend to have more um, full-time staff. Another thing that happens in early growth stage organizations is and this gets really uncomfortable for folks. Interestingly, um, you look around and you realize that the the team that got you to where you are isn't necessarily the right team to take you to the next phase or to help you scale. And so another hallmark of um, the early growth stage is a resetting um, of systems and policies. really looking at what has been working and saying, okay, in order to grow, we have to make this shift. We have to be intentional about shifting our staff. We have to be intentional about shifting our programs and letting go of things um, that are not serving us. There are really few systems and policies that have been set in stone in the early growth stage. They're starting to be formed, but the ones that exist are often still being tested. Um, and so they can um, they can still be seen as sort of weak and not um, reliable to your staff and to your board. And that's okay because part of the idea of a growth stage is this intentional design, noting, testing, and then refining and improving systems, policies, and structures. In terms of capital, finance, and fundraising, this stage is marked by much more robust fundraising, but it doesn't necessarily have a clear strategy. There's still an emphasis in the early growth stage on fundraising for income rather than for stability, because you're growing, you want more income. You're focused on bringing in whatever money is possible. This means, and this is a really important benchmark, that a strategic fundraising plan is really important. You need to have a fundraising plan that sets your strategic course so that you can start to let go of the fundraising strategies, the events, the campaigns, the small scale, sort of one-off, low leverage fundraising activities that aren't working and really trust and put your energy into strategies that will bring in bigger donors, more stable funding, general operating support, et cetera. So that shift from transactional, from small scale, from tactical fundraising to larger scale, stability focused, and um general operating support and strategic fundraising starts to happen in early-stage growth organizations. And I cannot emphasize this enough, it is not always comfortable. And that's why this design being intentional um, this idea of intentional scale is really important to focus on because sometimes making these changes will just come down to saying, we need to make these changes. Um, And it's not necessarily going to feel organic. It's going to feel like a pivot. It's going to feel like a hard turn and that's okay. In terms of capacity, at this stage, you've got a solid team. There are differentiated lines of responsibility and accountability. Often there's still still no leadership team or sort of a nascent leadership team. Um, Workflows around roles and not people. That's starting to be really important. And that's what will lead to a healthy management or leadership team. Healthy differentiation roles Um, is workflows really being around the roles that people have, and not just following people. In this stage, core authority still tends to sit with the executive director, um, and that will start to shift in the young adult or late growth stage phase, which I'm about to talk about. And the last part of capacity in this phase is the board. This phase, the board is growing. More people that are not connected to the executive director are coming in. And you start to see committees and officers even if they are not necessarily functional at this time. There are enough people and an awareness of sort of what governance looks like in an ideal state for committees and officers just to begin to emerge. And so the challenge there will be how do we then make them functional? In terms of clarity, um, this is a really good phase to begin a three-year strategic planning process. And I really like three years more than five years. Um, Five years tends to be um, a time horizon that's actually just slightly too long, um, that organizations move through life phases um, more quickly than every five years. And so a lot of times organizations will have a five-year plan. They do a five-year plan. They'll get to about year three and find that they need to revamp their plan. So a three-year strategic plan is really a good long-term plan. And this is a phase where you want to start developing that. So finally, the leadership questions and challenges to prepare to um, move into a late growth stage organization and get closer and closer to a mature organization is really in large part about the executive director. The ED during this phase has to change or think about what is required um, in terms of changing their style and leveling up their skills. They have to get comfortable building and delegating to a leadership team. They have to get comfortable thinking differently about the nature and type of fundraising and network expansion. They have to get comfortable paying attention to their financials in a different way. There's a lot of skill building and capacity shifts and leveling up for the leader at this phase in order to steward a more mature organization. And so this shift in what's required of the ED um, as a person and as a leader often happens during the growth stage um, of an organization, the early or late growth stage of the organization. And so this late growth stage organization or young adult, teenagers, grow into young adults, this is where the organization is growing. It's growing and it's expanding. And the goal starts again to shift back to stability, right? So in the late growth stage, we've grown, we've added our staff, we've built up our board, we've expanded our programs. um, And really what starts to happen towards the later part of the growth stage as organizations start to really hit their stride um, in what we call the zone of maximization, which is the last zone I'm going to talk about. But in this late stage growth phase, what you start to see as organizations get closer to there is they've been growing and now they want to figure out how as this new leveled up organization that we have become, how do we stabilize here? How do we stabilize at this new place um, this new level of impact and so taking a step back what you've seen is organizations go from survival to how do we stabilize okay now let's grow and how do we stabilize again so that's where they are they start to head into um, remaining anchored in its values and missions and remaining stable the goal here is continuing to scale the organization the impact and learning how to stay stable at a new level of impact and budget. The design as we enter the late growth stage is moving into systematized. You're gonna see more robust systems, policies, and processes that are removed from individual people and that um, can be relied on to automate and move the organization forward without friction. So you see a lot better systems and protocols. capital. Finance and fundraising is significantly more robust. There are early fundraising systems in place. They need to be refined, but they're systems that are focused on diversification and building a fundraising engine, consistent revenue, not lumpy feast or famine revenue. You're starting to see an early definition of financial health, right? Big picture understandings of what does health mean for us? How much money do we want as a runway in the bank? How do we begin to think about setting up a reserve? Um, What are the key financial indicators that we want to pay attention to, or the KFIs that help the leadership and the board finance committee track against a definition of financial health? In terms of budgets, you start to see um, adoption of a real growth budget, an aspirational budget that reflects the vision of growth and a vision of higher and deeper impact, um, and that translates that into money. What is the cost of a vision of growth, not just how can we make, you know, $500,000 work? And finally, in terms of fundraising, you begin to see the kind of fundraising that supports and sustains an increased budget, relational fundraising, not just transactional fundraising that focuses on bringing in income. So all of this is happening and sort of gelling in the late growth stage. In terms of capacity, you have board committees that are functioning. You have board that boards that understand their role in fundraising and engage in fundraising and that have clear lines of accountability around fundraising. This is going to start to look really different in different organizations. Some organizations have a give-get, some don't. Um, some have a give and not a get. Some have a meaningful donation requirement. Some have nothing. Whatever the rules are, at this stage, they start to be clear. The board has its own culture and its own um, rules of conduct and engagement, and they start to begin to self-govern. In terms of clarity this is when you start to really live into your three-year strategic plan and to integrate your strategic plan and your budgeting so that you have what's called a robust finance plan that is both about strategic impact and what that means financially. So the final transition and the leadership questions to engage with as you move into the zone of maximization or sort of prime adulthood as an organization Um, are really about the leader learning to work on the organization and not just in the organization. In order to really function at its highest, best place, an organization needs to have a leader that is not in the weeds and that is able to rely on the leadership team and the systems that have been developed to execute on the mission. The leader's leader's emphasis and attention is going to start to be much more external. Um, So let me talk about this final stage. Zone of of maximization, prime adulthood. So here, the organization is stable, it's mission-aligned, it's rooted in systems, and it's having a great impact. The organization is building a reputation and is often known as having a point of view that people understand is unique and impactful this can be a really happy place for organizations to be. Um, This is when things are clicking, systems are in place, people know their jobs, things are working. I do not necessarily mean that everyone is happy all the time, but the organization is in a state of flow. The goal when you are in this zone of maximization or prime adulthood is the deepening of impact, right? It's not survival, it's not growth, you're good, you've figured out how to stay stable, and now you want to deepen your impact. And this is why the executive director is often more involved in external strategic partnerships, including major donor fundraising. The design of a mature organization is entirely systematized. They have established formal organizational structures. It's managed by um, a leadership team and a board of director that self-governs. Programs are outcomes-based, and they're aligned with an, a strategic plan that everybody is bought into and understands, and it's actually a working document and not sort of a 10-page, you know, $50,000 plan that sits on a desk somewhere. Fundraising is diversified and supports the organization's needs. So, At this phase, you often see really different funding models across different organizations. There's no cookie cutter way to have a robust fundraising system. And so at this point, the organization has figured out what's the best system for us. They have a strong fundraising engine and the financials are an integrated part of that engine. They're a tool that supports strategic growth, that helps the leader and the board know what questions to ask, where to aim resources, et cetera. Major donor fundraising is a significant part of the fundraising plan, and general operating support is a significant part of the income. Very often at this phase, a reserve has been created, and that tends to be an indicator of a certain amount of financial stability. Organizations that are experiencing feast or famine, early growth stage organizations, often can't have a reserve. And so it's when you have sort of the systems and ways of bringing in money that you feel confident you can sustain. And again, this does not mean that fundraising is not stressful. It means that there are systems in place that you um, can use to support your efforts. That's when it's a good time to start thinking about a reserve. Capacity is really rooted in a strong board that is a thought partner to the executive director, a board chair that is an active partner to the executive director, and a strong leadership team, as well as a pipeline for growth through the organization, so that as people come into the organization, they can see um, a means for growth and a development of their own leadership, There's strong HR protocols, and just like in early growth stage, organizations um, In this phase, have work organized around roles and not people. Clarity at this stage is really focused on a set of robust three-year priorities and goals. There's also an annual strategic goal setting and work planning process that articulates how we're going to get in the next year, how we're going to take steps um, towards our three-year priorities A lot of the clarity um, benchmarks in this mature phase are about process. The entire team is involved in annual planning. The leadership team takes on responsibility for setting um, annual goals that are in line with and aligned with um, the three-year priorities and goals. And there's an ability both at the board and the staff level to translate the long-term priorities into thought leadership for deepened impact. So the key leadership question here, what to look out for and be wary of is um, the development of silos. It is possible for policies to start to feel rigid and it's possible for organizations to feel um, so stable that the sort of opposite of the startup, innovative, nimble um, orientation starts to happen, and the organization does anything it can to avoid risks. The board is self-governing, but may start to feel less attached to the staff, set in their ways separate from the team. So these are just a few things um, to look out for that can be a hallmark of moving out of the zone of maximization um, and into a phase of decline. So those are the stages of growth um, leading to and including early late stage growth and zone of maximization. And like I said, knowing these are a really powerful tool. Uh, doing the right thing at the right time is how you continue to fuel your growth and stay stable at the same time. Um, the key takeaway here is about readiness. So again, going back to why I I was thinking about this topic for this week's solo show, there's just a lot of reflection going on right now about readiness for this coming year and um, where organizations are and what's on the horizon and what they should be looking out for. And so this is a framework to give you... um, Maybe you and your organization some common language. Um, What sounds familiar? What resonated with you in terms of benchmarks or challenges, questions to ask, um, goals to set based on where you want to go next? And as a reminder, don't get too caught up in, oh, we're a child organization um, or oh, we're a teenage organization, but we really feel like we should be more mature after this many years. Um, It's really just looking at these six considerations within each phase, figuring out what sounds um, like the right fit for where you are and then setting the right next best goals for your organization. So that's all I have for this week. As I mentioned, I've included as a freebie for this episode, a download of the stages and a small toolkit explaining each of the aspects of the stages sort of at a high level. And you can get that at, at richiebabbage.com backslash, nonprofit growth stages. That is all for this week. I want to thank you so much for joining me. If you have enjoyed this podcast, I would love for you to subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and to share with your friends. And if you extra liked it, I would be honored if you would leave a review. In addition to this week's freebie, I'd like to share just a few other free resources. Coming up on October 21st at 12 o'clock, I am hosting a free webinar about how to build a high impact, engaged board of directors that is prepared to support your growth in the coming year. You can register for that training at richiebabbage.com backslash build an engaged board. And finally, if you are the leader of a six-figure organization and you are ready to scale and to play on a bigger field, get to the next level of your impact and funding, check out my free training series, Scale to Impact, The Five Pillars of Growth. I pull back the curtain on the five critical shifts you and your organization need to undergo to make sure that you're really prepared to get to and sustain your first million dollars. You can get that training series delivered direct to your email at richiebabbage.com backslash scale to impact. That's all for now. And I will see you back here next week for more masterminds.